The Emptiness Experiment Part 7, the last part of this series, the title is Life, Exhausting or Exhilarating? Exhausting or Exhilarating? We're looking at the last two chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. I want you to stand with me. We're going to read this verse together on the screen. Ecclesiastes 12, 11. It's on the screen so we can all read this together. Then we're going to back up and read a little bit more from chapter 11 and 12, okay? On the count of three, from the screen, all together saying it out loud. One, two, three. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick, which... There you go. You helped me out with that. I lost my place. Thank you. Let's go back now in Ecclesiastes 11. Here's what it says. Cast your bread, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you do not know. Somebody say, you do not know. You do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the north or to the south, the place where it falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know, there it is again, you do not know the way of the Spirit, and the way it comes into the bones and the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know. One more time, do not know. You do not know the work of God who makes everything. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Skip all the way down to verse 13 of that chapter, the last two verses of this book. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the beauty of this wonderful book. I thank you for those who preserved it, these generations before us, inspired by the Holy Spirit to keep it for us today. I pray that in these next few moments, in our final moments together around this book, I pray you will guide this conversation. I pray the Spirit will descend and live in your people and through me as I preach. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. And may we see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. The end of the book of Ecclesiastes, the last two chapters, is really the summation of the whole book. Quick recap, chapters 1 to 6, Solomon, the richest, wisest, most popular king on the face of the earth, who went to God and asked for wisdom, and then not only got wisdom, but got wealth, power, fame, and fortune as well, went out and chased the life that all Americans chase, the life of pleasure, the life of love, romance, the life of accomplishment, achievement, the life of money, power, fortune. He didn't just chase it. He got it. And he lived with all the things that we as a culture think, if I get that, I'll be happy. 
So one to six, Ecclesiastes, he's telling us, I did it. Chapters seven to 12, he's telling us, now here's what you should do. And we do well to pay attention to what Solomon has outlined for us in this book because at the end of the day, I think we all would agree that we wanna end our lives happy. We wanna end our lives feeling like we, we did it. We did what we should have done. We lived a good life. I'm not talking about being a good person. I'm talking about living a good life. And I think we all wanna get there. And this, these last two chapters of Ecclesiastes, let us not neglect to realize that these two chapters are the last words of the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ and the summation of his thoughts after chasing the life that Americans love to chase. So we do very well to lean in and listen, or we're gonna have an exhausted life. I want you to have an exhilarating life. I want you to be happy with your life. God wants you to be happy with your life. And to get to the end of your day saying, I did it. So how do we get there? This actually, I thought about these last two chapters is, this is Solomon's locker room speech for life. Has anybody ever heard a locker room speech from the movies at least? You know, not many sports people here today, okay? You know what happens. You're about to go to the, the field of battle. You're about to take on the competition and the coach has to rile you up. He has to inspire you. He has to give you some words that are gonna give you the, the thrust to go out there and beat the enemy. He, he's gonna come into that locker room and he's going to inspire you with words of fight. We can do this. This is our day. Oh, sure. Nine times out of 10, maybe they'll win, but not today. Miracle, anybody? <laughs> the whole world thinks they're gonna win, but this day, this night is your night. And if you go out there and you leave it out on the field, you will win and everybody will be talking about you and you will be celebrated and you will have accomplished your goal. So now let's get out there and let's fight. You are such a first morning service. <laughs> I'm killing myself up here and you're like, yeah. <laughs> this is a locker room speech for life. So here's the point, the foundational point. How do you, how do you look at your life? Because how you view life is gonna determine how you do life. How do you look at life? So some of you aren't aware that there is part of life that is a fight. This is why you keep getting defeated. Because if you walk into a fight not thinking it's a fight, you'll get punched in the mouth. How do you view life? Solomon's gonna give us four views. And I thought about this, there's so many wrong ways to look at life. Some people look at life like it's a big pain. And so they run away from every potential problem. Anything that brings them a little bit of discomfort, they avoid not realizing that sometimes the pain is good. Sometimes you need to be pricked a little bit in your spirit, in your flesh, in your mind. No pain? No pain. Hey, there you go. You knew that one. So some people, though, because they think life is pain, they avoid it. Some people think life is misery and they are miserable, and they have very few friends, which makes them more miserable. 
because nobody wants to hang around miserable people. I know we say misery loves company, but let's be honest, nobody wants to be the company. So if you're one of those people, you'll find no joy. You'll never smile. A lot of Christians like that. I don't know if you've ever met these Christians, miserable Christians, acting like nothing is good, everything is bad, watching too much news, watching the world. I have these Christians in my life, and they say to me on a regular basis, I'll tell you, if Jesus doesn't come back soon, <laughs> what? What? What's going to happen? <laughs> Like, you know what I'm saying? You, you ever meet these people? They, everything is bad. Too much evil that they see. That's the problem. Too much news gawking. If life is a game, if you see life like a game, not a battle, a game, you might make some choices that you'll be highly regretting at the end. And so if life is a game, don't make foolish decisions. If life is a joke, some young people, they treat life like it's a big fat joke. Like it doesn't matter. What I'm doing today doesn't matter. Live for today. Enjoy it. Make the most of it. And if you treat life like a joke, there's a good chance that you'll be the one at the end of your life. You'll be the only one not laughing. Be careful about how you view life. Is life unspiritual? See, a lot of Christians fall into this trap. Life is just unspiritual. It's just a big unspiritual mess. Nothing really matters in this world. I am just about going to the next world. So it doesn't matter about this world. I'm leaving. Stinks to be you people. I'll see Jesus pretty soon. A lot of, a lot of Christians like that, right? So spiritual, they have, no ish, they have no concern for their neighbors, for their loved ones, for the world. Can't live like that either. How are we supposed to view life? Because if we view life rightly, we'll do life rightly. But if we view life wrongly, we'll do it wrongly. Four ways to view life from this final two chapters of this great book, Locker Room Speech for Life. Number one, life is an opportunity. Invest in it. This is what Solomon first wants us to see. Life is an opportunity. Somebody say opportunity. opportunity. Touch your neighbor and say, you've got a chance today. You've got a chance to invest in your life. What are you doing right now that is going to pay dividends years from now? I, I, I think about this one more than all the other points because I think this one could set you up so well. He says in verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters. All the ancient world, the trade was on the waters. So he says, take your money and trade it. Take your goods and trade them. Get involved in the exchange business. Yes, invest in stocks and bonds and mutual funds. Americans, we have unlimited opportunity with that. Invest your money in many waters, and then you will find it after many days. But not just your money. Invest your time in things that are going to produce a re result in your life that's positive. Invest your relationship quotient in people that matter and that, good, that, that, that are worth investing in. Invest your energies in your talents in things that you will be happy about years from now. Life is an opportunity, friend. It is not, more, it is not misery. It is opportunity. It is not happiness less. It is an opportunity to do things that will matter. And so I thought, well, what does that look like? And I think I got three points for you about properly investing. We properly invest in life when we, letter A, attempt multiple ventures. 
Do different things. Try something. Change it up. Give yourself a, a brand new um, hobby. Maybe go back to school. I went to, ba I went to back, I, I went back to school. <laughs> at the age of 35. And I loved every moment of it. And it profoundly changed me as an individual. And there was a temptation when I was 35. I was like, I already went through school. I'm an adult now. School's for kids. Silly rabbit. <laughs> and I went back to school. I humbled myself. And it, it changed my mind about many things. It rooted me deeper into Christ. It helped me grow. You're not too old. If you've got breath, you're not too old. Don't listen to the lies of the world or even your own inside voice that says you're too old for that kind of thing. If you've got breath, God says you've got a day to take advantage of. Amen. Opportunities. Look for them. And then try something. I am looking back on my life, I, and I'm only halfway through, but you know what I'm saying? I look back on my life and I say, thank God I tried it. Thank God I tried preaching. First time I preached, I stunk. I tried again. Second time, I stunk. <laughs> I tried again. I'm still stinking on occasion. <laughs> but you people keep showing up, so I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> I'm so glad that first, th that first time that I tried to play um, the drums in public, that was my first instrument, my first love. I stunk. <laughs> I tried again. That's how it is. You try. I just told you about it. I just picked up tennis. I didn't stink at the beginning. I'm quite good, actually. And, you know, you just try something. I just joined this league. Now, these last two weeks, I joined this league, and I got trounced by these two guys. Trounced. I had to apologize to the second guy. I'm like, I'm sorry. I shouldn't even have shown up today. He's like, nonsense. You're out here trying. Yes. Trying. Put yourself out there, friend. Some of you are playing life too safe. Then you wonder why it's boring. You gotta take your foot and you gotta throw it over the side of the boat and say, you know what? Because Jesus was walking on the water and Peter is like, if that's you, I wanna do it. And Jesus is like, cool, do it. Aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't like, Peter, that's not very spiritual? You know what I'm saying? But we Christians think unless it's spiritual, we can't do it. What are you talking about? Try something. Um, young people, go up to the person you find highly attractive and say it. <laughs> Make sure they're a Christian. But walk up to them and say, hello, pastor told me to say this. I think you're very attractive. <laughs> See what happens. Try the new restaurant. Inve you know, say, invest your life in something. Because you've got only so many years. And then multiple ventures, he says, he says give a portion to seven to eight. Just keep investing. The, the Hebrew euphemism here is just keep investing. Keep going. Letter B. Be positive in spite of potential threats. Be positive in spite of potential threats. So when you're about to try something, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna guarantee you, as soon as you're about to try it, all the negative voices are gonna come lunging at you at the same time. 
and all the things of what could possibly happen that would wreck or upend what you're about to do is going to just flood your mind. Anybody been there? And so you've got to keep going in spite of potential threats. Look at this verse. I love it. Verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves in the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it tr- falls, there it will lie. Okay, that's like the most obvious statement in the world, right? Most obvious verse in the Bible, at least. When the clouds are full of rain, there's, I mean, when the clouds are full of water, it's going to rain. If the tree falls, that's where it's going to lie. And here's what Solomon is saying. Some things you can predict. Now, next verse. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. Sowing and reaping, putting in to get out. The first verse, verse 3 is, yes, when you try new things, there are some things that you can predict will happen. The second verse is, but when you try new things, there's a whole bunch of things that could go wrong and you can't predict. If you keep worrying about the things you can't predict, you'll never do anything. I love it in the New Century Version because this to be honest with you, full disclosure, this verse, Ecclesiastes 11.4, I read this verse to myself almost every month. It's one of my favorite, probably in the top five of the verses of the Bible for me. And I love how the New Century Version says it. Those who wait for perfect weather will never plant seeds. Those who look at every cloud will never harvest crops. Some of you are looking for problems. Some of you let a little thing. You're like, I, I need to be 100% sure. I need to be 100% sure. How about this one? How about this one? You say, I need to have peace about it. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're crazy, right? Because I, I, I don't usually have that much peace on the outside of my life. You know what I'm saying? I, I, mean, I have peace inside. I have a peace with God. That's the only peace that you need, by the way. The only peace that you need is peace with God. Because if you got peace with God, you know he holds you in the palm of his hand and no man shall pluck you out. You know that no matter what happens to you, he's going to work it out for your good. You know that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. You know that if he is for you, no one can be against you. And so when you've got that peace with God, it doesn't matter what the storm is on the outside. That relationship is solid. That relationship is tight. That relationship is sealed in Christ's blood forever. He's never letting me go. That peace, yes, you should have that peace. But the other stuff, you're not going to always have peace about. In fact, some of you just search for peace, and that's why you never do anything. New ventures are scary. Going back to school is nerve-wracking. Trying a new job going to a new place, meeting a new friend, going out to dinner with someone that you're interested in, scary, they might reject you. Are you gonna watch the, are you gonna watch the clouds? See, some of you are weather channel junkies. <laughs> now, the weather channel is very informative and very helpful. Thank God for the weather channel. I know what to wear because of the weather channel, but I don't let the weather channel dictate my life. It can assist me, it does not direct me. Come on, somebody. Some of you are spiritual weather channel junkies. There's a demon out there. That guy's bad. That guy's bad news. Oh, those, those people that are not Christians, they're bad. They're evil. Come on, kids. Huddle around me, kids. Let's be safe from the big bad sinners out there. Do we not realize that Jesus, our Savior, was friends with sinners? He loved them. And by the way, they loved him. Do you ever think about that? The people who loved Jesus the most were the least like Jesus? Do you ever think about that? Somebody like, I only like to hang around my kind of people. Jesus didn't do that. 
Jesus hung around people who were completely different than him. And he made friends with different kinds of people and he invested in different kinds of people. And when it went badly, he didn't give up. He just turned to the next one and said, okay, you follow me. You see, this is a life that you've been given and you've got a chance today to do something new. Don't let what could go wrong stop you from trying something new. Let her see, continue in your present responsibilities. You want to properly invest, continue in what you started. Finish what you start. Finish. See, here's what he says in verse 5. As you do not know the way of the Spirit, and you do not know the works of God, then he says in verse 6, plant your seed in the morning and keep busy, what? All day, all afternoon. For you do not know if profit will come from one or activity or another, or maybe both. Verse 5 is saying you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So guess what you do today? You plant your seed. Now, these are agricultural principles, which we can translate to modern-day principles. You don't know how your business is going to go in the future or your industry is going to go in the future. So guess what you do today? You work hard at it. Now, this is a very personal text for me right now because I have a daughter who's 18 years old and she's thinking about going to college. And if she allows it, she'll start to think about all the things that could go wrong. What if I don't like this school? I don't know what I'm supposed to study. All these questions that a typical 18-year-old person has. And I just keep telling her, just do what you need to do today. Fill out the application today. Mail it in. Go to school tomorrow. Study hard. Put your best efforts in what you have going on now. See, as much as I'm telling you to try new things, don't let your trying new things cause you to ping pong off of everything in your life so that you never actually put some roots down. So that you never actually invest in something long term. Oh, so some of you got wanderlust. You're always looking. That's why you keep running into stuff. Because you keep looking at other things that are going on. You look at other people's marriage and you compare their marriage to your marriage. Stop that. Cheryl and I made that decision a long time ago because we fell into that trap. Well, our marriage doesn't look as Christian as their marriage. Well, we don't look as together as they do. And sometimes that's what happens to young married people. And you got to realize that that person that you're comparing yourself to, they are putting on their best face for you. If you got in their house when nobody was looking, it'd be another story. They got their own issues. Many times, Cheryl and I have actually counseled and met with married people that we were envious of their marriage. And we would walk away from the conversation saying, oh, we're not so bad. <laughs> Wanderlust. What do you got to do today? Go to work today. Go to work tomorrow. Go to work whenever you got to go. Put your efforts in today. Here's what wisdom says. Wisdom says that God take care of tomorrow's mysteries. You take care of today's responsibilities. You take care of what you got to do today. Plant your seed and work all afternoon. Matthew 6, 34. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For it's got its own trouble. Sufficient for today is today's trouble. Invest in life. And I wouldn't, I'd be remiss if I did not say this final point about number one, which is this. The best investment that you can make is people. The best investment you will ever make in your life is people. Let me tell you a couple ways in which you can invest here at Waters Church. Are you ready? 
get through our growth track class. We have a class, happens on uh, Sundays at 1130, uh, almost every week. You can sign up at our Next Steps kiosk, and you find out about our church, you find out about what we're doing, and then you find your place. Where should you fit in? Why? So that you don't just come and gawk at what's happening, but that you get involved and you start giving yourself away for other people. That's the best investment that you can make. Uh, the great uh, um, senator and astronaut John Glenn said it like this. If there's one thing I've learned in my years on this planet, and by the way, he was the first man to orbit the moon, it's that the happiest and most fulfilled people are those devoted, who devoted themselves to something bigger and more profound than merely their own self-interest. Yes, I'll take that from a man who's been to this planet and around the moon. In other words, invest. So go to growth track. Find out how you can fit in. You say, but it looks like you're doing fine. There's always room for more. We got more campuses we want to plant. We got more pastors we want to send out. We got more people in this country, in this area of this country that we need to reach. The job is not done. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Let's not stop. That means we need you to get involved and be a part of this process so that we can bring New England to Jesus in our generation. Get involved. How about this tithing? Investing in the kingdom. Ten, one tenth of my income goes right back into this church. Goes right back. The first tenth, by the way, not after I've paid the electric bill and the mortgage. The first tenth. You say, what? Tenth? That's what tithe means. And I'll tell you something God has blessed us abundantly. This church has grown every single year. My wife and our lives have gotten better financially every single year. And by the way, we were tithing when we were making $33,000 a year as a family with two kids. We were tithing. God was faithful. Some of you could do this and you refused to because money leads you around by the nose. It's got a hook in your spirit, a hook in your heart. You know what I love about tithe? Tithe teaches my wallet that my wallet does not own me. God owns me. And so my wallet is subject to God's authority over my life. And not only do I give that to God, to the church, it's an investment. Every time we see a hand go up, I want you to know this. Every time a hand goes up, every time somebody gets baptized, it's because someone, you people, invested. Every time a child gets saved in Guatemala from malnutrition and starvation, it's because you people who give and tithe, you did that. You made it happen because you said to money, you are not my God. My father is my God, and I will use you to do what he wants me to do. I'm just telling you that this is an opportunity for many of you. you got to step up to it and try it and see how it goes. It's going to be an amazing ride. Point number two, life is an adventure. Enjoy it. How many of, how many of you wouldn't have never imagined a preacher saying, enjoy life? This is exactly what Ecclesiastes 11 says. It's an adventure, friend. Yes, it has its ups and its downs, but it, it's an adventure. Verse 7 says this, light is sweet and pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him, what's the next word? Rejoice, Rejoice in them, what? All. All. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. And, that, and all, uh, all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O oh man, in your youth, and let your heart, what's the next word? Cheer. Cheer in the days of your youth. Do you enjoy life? 
Are you enjoying your life? Are you letting the little hills get in your way? Are you letting every little thing rub you the wrong way? Do you get thrown off by one comment for an entire week? Do you, do you scour the internet looking for things to get mad about? Does one action of one president, congressman, senator cause your whole day to be ruined? You don't even know the person. Maybe you shut that thing down. Maybe take a look at what's good in your life and start enjoying it. Yeah. You, know what the, you know what the Jewish rabbis, I read about the Jewish rabbis on this one verse. You know what they said? God's going to hold us accountable, not just for what we did for him. God's going to hold us accountable for how well we enjoyed the good things he put in front of us. You ever think about that? He's going to hold you accountable. Did you celebrate what God is doing? You know, Philippians chapter 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Again, I will say what? Rejoice. And some of you Christians, you got to get this. You got to get this because you're way too miserable. You're way too upset. You even look like your face looks like you're upset. People don't even talk to you. And this is the funny thing. People don't talk to you because you look miserable. You walk around like this. And then at the end of the day, you're like, Nobody, nobody's nice to me. <laughs> Try this. Everybody, now, do it. Do it. If you don't do it, I'm calling you up to the stage right now. Do it. <laughs> you know that science, science tells us that it takes twice as many muscles to smile as it does to frown, and that the endorphins in our brain release when we smile to make us happy. Did you know that? Did you ever realize that Philippians 4.4 is a command, not a suggestion? Not, God is not up in heaven saying, you know what? Try being happy. He's saying, rejoice. Put a smile on. Be happy about your life because you've got something to be happy about. The problem is you keep putting all the miserable things in front of you. In verse 8, he says this, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. So rejoice now because there's going to be moments where you can't. There will be days of darkness. But here's the thing that you got to look at darkness. Here's the thing that you got to look at when you see trouble. The trouble is just a reminder that life is not always trouble. Mark Twain said it like this. He said, what is joy without sorrow? What is success without failure? What is a win without a loss? What is health without illness? You have to experience each if you were to appreciate the other. When I get sick, I don't know if anybody's like this, but whenever I get sick, and I just got over a really bad sickness this past October, I always think to myself while I'm sick, when I get healthy, I'm going to really enjoy it. <laughs> anybody do that? You know, and then I get healthy, and I'm like, eh. I forget about it. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes you have to get sick so that you remember how nice it is to be healthy. You can give God thanks. Can you walk today? Can you breathe today? Can you lift your hands? Can you operate your fingers? Can you do something positive with your life today? Give thanks to God. Every moment is a gift. It's a gift. Okay, verse 10. You say, I'm not enjoying life, Pastor. This is not helping. Okay, got some news for you. Got some advice. Verse 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. Two things you should do when life is miserable. First, inside. Remove what? Vexation. This word could be translated bitterness. Could be translated uh, hurt, anger. 
unforgiveness. Some of you are miserable because you just don't forgive anybody in your life. Always carrying around that hurt. It's been 20 years, you're still thinking about it. It's been 10 years, you're still thinking about it. Heck, it's been a week, you're still thinking about it. You were, we're, the, we're the people of forgiveness. It's in the Lord's Prayer that if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. A Christian forgives, period. A, forg- a, a Christian does not, does not think about forgiving. It doesn't think about it. A Christian doesn't wait for people to say they're sorry. A Christian doesn't wait for somebody to find out that what they did was really, really wrong and they need to come and tell me that they understand how wrong it was. That's not what a Christian does. A Christian forgives the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's not, I'm going to wait, Lord. It's not, I want to see them say sorry, Lord. It's not, I really want them to repent, Lord. It's you forgive before they ask. So that you, why? So that you can take care of what's going on in here. This is why some of you are miserable because vexations up in your heart is just clamped down. It's like an iron fist all around your heart. And you need to go and you need to say to that person, I forgive you. If you don't have a way to get to them, you need to just say it to the Lord. I forgive them and today I'm not going to bring it up. Starting today, I'm not going to bring it up again. It doesn't mean you forget. It means that you, you forgive. You cast it off and you let it go. Remove forgiveness. Remove unforgiveness from your heart. Remove that anger, that bitterness. And then he says, and put away pain from your body. That's the second half of the verse. So he's talking about first the inside and then the outside. And when I read this, the first line that came to my heart, the first thought that came to my put away pain from your body. You know what I said, what I said to myself? That means take some ibuprofen. <laughs> like some of you need to just do that. You just take some ibuprofen. Like that's it. You let muscle pain and all that kind of stuff hinder you and just pop one or two or three, you know? That's it, three. Um, I know we are over-prescribed as a country. We are, we are way over-prescribed as a country. We go to doctors for pills for everything, and we need to stop that. Some of us need to learn natural ways to heal. Stretching, yoga, not the meditation yoga, the regular just stretch your, ne- your, your back yoga. I do this. I do. I stretch out like that. You say, oh, that's, that's Hindu. That's the... You know what I do when I, when I stretch in yoga? I go, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your... I mean, that's what I do. I just Christianize it. That's what the church did with all the holidays, by the way. Christmas, Christianized. Used to be winter solstice. Easter, Christianized. Used to be a, the festival of the sun rising. Everything that we celebrate today is, that is Christian was pagan at one point. Anyway. Oh, by the way, that point is just uh, embrace action that gets you healthy inside and out. That's all that that is. Okay, so now, number three. Life is short, maximize it. So he says in verse one of chapter 12, as you write that down, I'll read it. You can see it on your notes there. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before. Somebody say before. So before the days come when they're evil and you don't enjoy them anymore, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are dark and the clouds return after the rain. Here's what he's saying. Reality check, friends. I may get old, and I will die. I may get old. Your old age is not promised to you, so maximize today. You, you will die. Uh, last year, we're actually on the anniversary of a young girl who was in our church, and she was on the way home from Thanksgiving dinner. Terrible car accident. She lost her life. 20-year-old. Sad. 
That's why we do what we do, by the way, right there. Because no one has tomorrow promised them. We've got to tell people about Jesus today. And more importantly, you've got, well, not more importantly, almost as importantly, you've got to enjoy today. You've got to make most of this moment because you will get old. <laughs> Some of you are going to resonate with this a little bit more than others. You will get old, and it's going to get harder to enjoy it the older you get. So he says this very poetically from verse 3 onward. Look what it says. Before the days roll in, you know, the bad days, verse 3, he says, in the day when the keepers, these are all poetic images, the keepers of the house tremble. What's he talking about, the keepers of the house? Your hands. Your hands start to tremble. And the strong men are bent. What are those? Your legs. And the grinders cease because they are few. What's he talking about there? Teeth. And those who look through windows are what? Dimmed. What's he talking about? Eyes. Verse 4, and the doors of the street are shut. What's the word on the street? Ears. When the sound of the grinding is low, in other words, you used to like have everything going and now it's a little bit more dissipated. And one rises up at the sound of a bird. What's he talking about there? You can't sleep. And everything wakes you. Isn't it highly ironic that the older you get, the less you can hear, but the more things wake you up from a sound sleep? <laughs> Verse 5. And they are afraid also of what is high and the terrors of the way. In other words, everything frightens you. You get older, you get a little bit more, little bit more cautious. And the almond tree blossoms. What is that talking about? Gray hair, because the almond tree had a gray blossom to it. The grasshopper dwell, drags itself along. What's he talking about there? It's like you used to bounce all over the place. Now you just drag through. And then he says, and desire fails. Guess. They didn't have medicine for it back then. Verse 6, before the silver cord is tapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, the wheel is broken at the cistern, all euphemisms for death. In other words, do something today. Enjoy it. Quick test. Of, quick test. If you're getting too old too quickly, and this is a test that I can administer at this very moment. Are you ready? You need to be ready for this. See, some of you don't want to try anything new. You see? Right there. Are you ready for this test? Oh, good. All right, ready? On the count of three, the test begins. One, two, three. Stand up. Okay, if you made a sound while you were standing up, <laughs> you are failing the test. Sit back down. If you made a sound because you had to sit down, it's even worse. Go for a walk today, for heaven's sakes. Please. You're like, oh, standing up, oh. <laughs> Number four, life is a stewardship. Surrender to the Lord who gave it. So this is the end of the, this is the, end of the locker room speech, guys. And Solomon's saying, your life is really not yours. It's a gift. Remember your creator. You've been created and God has created you to do life a certain way. That's why he gave us this book. That's why these, these words are here, guys, so that we can learn how to do life the way we should. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom helps you make better decisions today so that you have fewer regrets tomorrow. And, and here's, here's where our country gets it so wrong every single day. The Democrats tell you it's your body. 
And the Republicans tell you, it's your money. And God tells you, it's all mine. Your body is mine. Your thoughts are mine. Your heart is mine. And all your stuff is. And if you want to live well, you live with that in mind. And you don't side with the people who tell you otherwise. You tell God, I surrender. I give you my life. The last two verses, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of men. He's the eternal judge that you have to give account to. Now, some people hate the idea of God being a judge. I understand. Let me just make something very clear to you. If God is not your judge, someone else is. I guarantee it. You know who your judge is? You know who your judge is right now? It's the person that you are always thinking about, well, what will they think? Or the group, well, what will they say? You've just made them God. You've just made them in charge. Some of you side with politics, and you make that political side your judge, and you got to toe the line. Be careful, or they'll cast you out. These are judgment terms. Some of you make your boss your judge. He's your boss. He's not your judge. Some of you make your spouse your judge. They're your spouse, not your judge. They are not, you are not ultimately and finally accountable to them. In other words, you can't make a decision. Some of you let mom and dad, and they've been dead for 20 years, and they're still your judge. You know how many people I have that say they can't come to our church? They can't come to this church. Do you know why they say this? Do you know why? Because grandma, who's been dead for 30 years, would be heartbroken. <laughs> what? Did grandma breathe the world into existence? Did grandma make you to, did grandma make the sunrise today? At some point, you got to cut the cord from grandma and let God in heaven be your judge. Some of you young people, let your friends be your judge. You let friends today who will not be there tomorrow be your judge. Are you crazy? Live with God as your judge, and I guarantee you at the end of the day, you will make the decisions he wants you to make, and you will be so much happier because he's the only opinion that counts. And he's the only opinion that truly loves and cares about you. The final question I have for you is this. If, if how you view life determines how you do life, how is your life doing? Maybe it's time for you to make a decision to come to Christ. Maybe it's time for you to make the decision to get involved here at Waters Church. Maybe it's time for you to make a decision to try that new venture in life, to get involved in some new thing, to put your hand to something you've never given yourself to before. Or maybe it's just time for you to enjoy today. This is why we do what we do. And we say goodbye to Ecclesiastes with a glimpse of heaven. There's a, girl, there's a lady in our church. She did the things that I'm telling you to do. She got involved. She started serving. She started a small group. She didn't think she could do it. She started doing it. She became a great small group leader. Then we asked her to do something else that a lot of small group leaders are a little bit timid about doing. She still did it. And she got a little taste of heaven. And I want to show you that story right now. When 
now the video I had just made with Marianne Parsons was for my small group because I'm just starting a small group and uh, we made a video of me um, talking about the small group and a little about myself and that's where it all came together where the mechanic actually showed him my small group video and said uh, is this your daughter and then my father looked and said that's my daughter I know that's my daughter Uh, I was in work one day, two weeks ago, and I get a phone call. My receptionist uh, has a phone call, and she comes up to me, and she says, it's, it's, Miss, it's not a client, it's, um, it's someone for you. He says his name is Ronald Damis, and I said, what? <laughs> she goes, Ronald Damis. I'm like, that's, that, that's my dad. I haven't seen him since I was seven years old, and um, I'm 50. It's been 42 years since I've seen my dad. I took the phone. And I said, hello, and he goes, Missy, it's your dad. And I was just like, oh, this is my dad. He goes, I've been looking for you, I've been looking for you. I'm like, dad, how did you find me? He goes, the internet. And he goes, oh, my car broke down. I went to the mechanic and uh, I, I, uh, I was telling the mechanic, you know, I just want to see my daughter before I die. Just, just before I die, I just want to see her once before I die. And the mechanic uh, said, what's your name? And he said, uh, Melissa Damis. And he went online and he found Facebook and the video I posted just the day before. He goes, that video, he goes, he found you on the internet, face something and, uh, and it was a video. And he goes, is this her? And it shows me doing the video. And he goes, I know that's my daughter. That's my daughter, I know that's my daughter. And I couldn't believe, you know, how, how God works. And then everything started to fall in place. And then it was time to make the video. I'm like, I gotta make this video. God pushed me. And Marianne and I made the video. And God just brought that mechanic <laughs> to, to find you know, my father, everything. God, God just places everything together. And I'm, I'm telling you, he, he does these things and he makes things happen that you would not ever believe would ever happen. You know, I'm so grateful every day. I'm so grateful for, for bringing my dad back into my life. I see him every weekend. He calls me all the time and we, we, we just can't shut up. <laughs> I'm just asking you to join a church, join a small group because that's where life begins. We, small group brings people back to life and uh, you know, be a part of the church. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, you can be saved and forgive. You can learn to forgive. And I don't think that God would have done this if I didn't learn to forgive everything in my past and people in my past and forgive myself.